Hi everyone, it's Roger again. I'm one of the administrators for the GP registrars for FRA CGP prep group and also one of the question writers for kfponline.com.au called KFP Prep. This is podcast number two in a series of four talking about the KFP technique. And in this episode, we'll talk specifically about some of the basic ground rules that you should be using on a daily basis, even when you consult patients and write your management plan or your plans for the patients in your progress notes. Because practice makes perfect. So let's get started. The KFP is about clinical reasoning and judgment more so than it is about actual knowledge. Yes, you need to have some knowledge to pass the KFP, but sometimes having too much knowledge can actually backfire. So you will get into trouble if you try and exhibit too much knowledge in your answers. That is, if you try and write an essay for a specific question, then it's frowned upon and you're more likely to be penalized for overcoding. Because the KFP exam is a typed exam, it might be tempting to use certain features of the keyboard. For example, using slashes or using specific words like and, or, if, when, where, because. These are all signs that you're trying to mention more than one answer in one line. When you think about it, if you say in your answer for someone with abdominal pain that you would give them some oral paracetamol and put a line in for IV fluids, that's actually two different things that you're mentioning in the one line. So you're opening a can of worms and you're setting yourself up for an overcoating penalty to be applied. Try to avoid over-justification and reasoning for your answer. Here is an example of that. If someone comes in with chest pain and it sounds like ischemic chest pain and you say that you would like to give sublingual GTN one spray, that would be okay. But if you were to say sublingual GTN one to two sprays for treatment of angina, well, is it really necessary? Because remember, the people that are marking your exams are also doctors. They're established GPs who kind of know what they're talking about. So try to not over-justify and over-reason your answers. Be very specific. This is an absolute killer. If you read the RACGP commentary, which is, by the way, available through the RACGP exams portal, this comes up on a repeated basis. Candidates cannot be awarded any marks if their answer is non-specific. So here is an example of that. If someone comes in with abdominal pain and you just write provide analgesia but don't mention anything about the root, don't mention anything about the particular medication, don't mention anything about a dose, then your answer is likely to be scored zero because it's very non-specific. Now the way I'd explain specificity to candidates is that if you went up to a layperson in the street and told them, oh I've got a bit of abdominal pain or tummy aches, the layperson's going to say, well, take some, you know, painkillers, mate. But that's not how the KFP works. You're a doctor. You need to be able to establish your knowledge and your clinical reasoning. And the examiner needs to see that in your answers. So be as specific as possible. But at the same time, don't waffle. 
The KFP has a lot of photographs, so it's really important to pay attention to photographs, but you need to do that in context with a clinical scenario. Just because a photo looks specific of one disease, but the clinical scenario may not fit in with it, don't go with just the photo. Always take everything into account when answering, answering questions in the KFP. Now, I call this rule the next one, the 50% rule. Basically, the KFP free text answers give you about, I think, 240 to 280 characters. I don't know the exact number, but it's around that figure. If you're using consistently for every question, greater than 50% of the space provided for you to write your answer, you're probably waffling a little bit. So try and reduce your answers to basic phrases. So it's clear, concise, specific, and less ambiguous. Please avoid acronyms. Now, I was marking a KFP paper, one of my practice exams, um, actually probably about six, seven months ago. And what I noticed was candidates that used acronyms can be quite confusing. Here's an example that I came up with. If a patient has symptoms and signs of Crohn's disease and you were to write IBS, does that mean it's inflammatory bowel syndrome? Does it mean it's irritable bowel syndrome? The examiner is not there to donate marks. Their job is not to interpret your answers. Their job is to look at your answer and say, okay, well, this candidate knows what they're talking about. They're likely to be safe when they're practicing independently anywhere in Australia. So keep that in mind. Avoid acronyms. Now, sometimes imagining the patient is right in front of you really helps. So if you're really stuck in the KFP, and it may not work for every single situation, imagining them being right in front of you in a consult room might help. Yes, this is actually quite challenging given that you're surrounded by tens of candidates feverishly typing in the KFP uh, exam uh, scenario, but it may help you get through the harder cases. And I also find that it might help you get through some of the ethical cases or some of the counselling cases, particularly mental health. Now remember, investigation questions are usually provided with a series of answers. That is, you need to pick from the list of investigations depending on what is appropriate. You're not really required to free text investigations. And the reason for that in the past, when investigations were free texted, candidates would get confused about overcoding. Here's a classic example. If you wanted to do a urine microscopy, culture and sensitivity, Often candidates would get confused. Is that one test? Is that three tests? Am I overcoding? Am I writing multiple answers in the one line? So to avoid that ambiguity, RACGP have decided largely to provide a list of investigations which the candidate can choose so the candidate is not confused. And I think that's a pretty good way to approach these exams. And I'm glad that RACGP have done that. Always read the entire case questions before answering anything. Now, a lot of candidates would probably already do this anyway. I certainly did ever since I was a medical student. I'd read the entire uh, question before I actually answer one. Now, I'm not saying you probably should read the entire KFP exam before starting to answer, 
But if the KFP case has two or three questions, it makes sense to read all the questions first to try and get as many clues as possible and then start answering the answers. Now, you can't retrospectively apply knowledge, which is disclosed in the questions two and three, to question one. What that means is if they give you additional scenario information in questions two and three, you can't use that information and go retrospectively apply that to question one but it may provide some clues as to which direction the KFP case is going. Now, if you find some of the cases difficult, and I bet you, you will find some cases that are extremely difficult, do not worry, don't waste time. Now I've calculated, it takes about seven to eight minutes to answer a KFP case. So really per question, you've got about two to two and a half minutes in order to answer that question. If you're wasting time or if you're thinking that you're spending too much time on one question, abandon it, move forward, come back to it later. Remember, each KFP case is equally weighted. It makes complete sense for you to ace easy cases and don't really worry about harder cases because the harder cases are not worth more than the easy cases. So if you've got a case about carpal tunnel syndrome, which is really easy, try and score 100% on that. If you've got a case about Huntington's disease and you get 50% on that, so be it. Don't waste time on cases that you find very, very difficult because you'll find that if you waste time on one case, you're going to run out of time very, very quickly. Try to avoid controversial answers. So, for example, if someone presents with chronic back pain, you know, is that something that you can do a GP management plan for? I think it's controversial. If someone comes in with isolated hypertension as a primary condition without any, you know, end organ failure, is that enough to do a GP management plan? Hmm, that's controversial. So if you can, stay away from controversial answers, okay? The other thing is, don't forget about prompt and waste. And this is something that I learned from Dr. Murtagh's books. Now, I must admit, I haven't read the book. Uh, in fact, I probably only read about one or two pages. But these two things probably help me immensely for the KFP. What prompt is, it's an acronym. And you've got to make it contextual for the differentials. And you can Google prompt with reference to uh, Dr. Murtagh. So, for example, P stands for probability diagnosis. R stands for rare diagnosis. O and M stands for often missed diagnosis. PT stands for what is the patient trying to tell me? And M stands for what are the masquerading diagnoses? There are seven masquerades that Dr. Murtagh talks about. And if the question says, what further history that you'd like to obtain? Again, make it contextual. Try and use waste. So, is there any weight changes? W stands for weight. A stands for appetite. Is there any appetite changes? S stands for sleep. Has there been any changes to sleep? E stands for energy. Has there been any problem with energy? So lack of energy, lethargy, etc. And T stands for temperature relationship. These are what I call gap fillers. Now I'm going to be going a little bit more specific into more techniques in the next podcast. So I'll catch up with you guys then. Hopefully exam preparation is going well. Thank you.